folks welcome back to the norwood noise podcast basketball is back graham i think opening night was you know everything went fairly you know as expected all top 25 teams won their games um, we had some surprising uh, by games that were dropped by some uh, reputable programs we'll get into all that um, but did you have as much fun as i did um you know wrapping up night one of of college basketball getting the season back you know going again yeah, it was a lot of fun. Um, I loved, you know, getting out of classes and it's 12 noon and there's a Baylor game going on and then games were going all the way until like some 11.30 tips out west. So it was unbelievable that after months and months of anticipation and feeling like it was so far away that, you know, you get right into it with almost every team, you know, tipping off like on that night and there's just... Like, you would think, like, the first, like, week, there's not a lot going on. You know, there's a lot of buy games, a lot of just not so much fun going on. But I think there's a lot to talk about, so uh, I think we should jump right into all these noteworthy stuff because, I mean, the season is here. It yeah. isn't like we're, like, easing back in. I mean, you're exactly. going to get full swing. Totally. Off Couldn't agree more. Well, welcome back. Uh, we were recording here on Tuesday, November 8th, um, following the opening evening of College Hoops, and we, we caught most of the action here for the Tuesday evening games. Um, we'll put this up on a Wednesday, uh, and I think we'll try and keep that fairly consistent, similar to last year's episodes, um, keeping those Tuesday uh, episodes rolling. Um, that way that you all are able to tune in um, every Wednesday. Um, we'll do the best we can. We'll definitely have to shift the schedule around. You know, obviously busy schedules here, especially with the basketball season rolling around. But anyway, we will get right into it. So what we're going to do, um, Graham and I are just going to talk about three uh, of our favorite, our most notable, most, you know, the, the games that we want to highlight um, from night one. <clears throat> and uh, and then we'll kind of go from there. Like I said, all top 25 teams won, so no real big headliners that we want to talk about, but we each have a couple that we want to hit on. Uh, the first one, I'll go ahead and start. Um, the first one that I wanted to take was uh, one that's fairly, cl- fairly close to home here, um, the Belmont Bruins taking care of business at home uh, with a great mid-major matchup on night one, taking down the Ohio Bobcat, Bobcats 70-69 on a buzzer beater uh, late in the game as time expired. Super fun to watch. Um, I obviously didn't catch it live, but got to see the uh, the highlights of it, and it just, uh, it, it you know, it made me feel very much so like, all right, College Hoops is here, College Hoops are back, um, and uh, it definitely put a smile on my face when I saw, you know, the, the energy and everybody excited, um, you know, with the with the late winter and everything, and again seeing two programs that you know continually are are good mid major and and you know programs and ones that we see in the NCAA tournament a lot. So that was definitely one of my highlights of the of the first evening at college hoops. Yeah, um, it's awesome that you know night one we jump right into like two teams that like obviously aren't going to play each other that often, and you know they get together. Um, Belmont and OU in the past few years have had great success, and OU lost some great guys out of the portal with Sears going to Alabama, Ben Vanderplas going to uh, University of Virginia, and, you know, they bounced back, you know, with a, you know, a new team. I mean, they lost, I think, five or six guys to the portal this year. I mean, that's what happens with these mid-major schools. I mean, you have a good coach, you do well, um, you have some – you know, eligibility left. I mean, some of these guys are super seniors using them in their fifth year, like Ben Vanderplas is a graduate student going to Virginia. So you're going to have a lot of these guys that are just going to sneak into these very good Power 6 programs 
that very good careers at other schools that bring you like a wealth of experience. I mean, Xavier's experiencing that now with Sule Boom, and he's going to be our starting point guard. He had four years of great basketball at UTEP. Uh, transfer portal, I mean, you can say what you want about it, but one thing it does bring is um, some experienced guys hopping around, so that's always good to see. Um, but, yeah, like you said, I mean, it's awesome that two reputable programs start off with a great game, you know, right. 69-70, takes it to the final buzzer. I mean, that was awesome. Couldn't agree more. All right, Graham, Lisa, what was your first highlight of the, of the opening night? Um, what I'm going to talk about is the Sam Houston Bearcats. Uh, Bearcats spelled with a K. Did not know that until today. <laughs> Wait, what? Yeah, Bearcats with a K. I don't know if you pronounce it differently. Sam Houston State, Bearcats. Bearcats. What? I got a K. Um, you know, they go into Oklahoma. They got a tough uh, bye game, you know. Wow. Just trying to roll the ball out there, see what they can do. And, you know, they're down seven and a half, and it's like, okay, well, Oklahoma looks a little bit sloppy. They'll clean it up and, you know, take it away from there. But they just, you know, punched Oklahoma in the mouth, you know, coming back and then outscoring them um, by eight in the second half and just an absolute great comeback. Um, And it wasn't like, oh, it was neck and neck. Like, they smacked Oklahoma. Oklahoma hit, like, three threes in the final minute to bring it back. And, like, I just love that, um, you know, small school. Like, they probably won't do much this year. You know, they're going there to collect their check, get some good experience for their guys, and come in and just absolutely handle. Um, Oklahoma's awesome to see. Couldn't agree more. Always love seeing um, mid-major programs coming in with something to prove there early in the season, so that one was awesome. Um, All right, so the next one for me um, is a a bit of an odd one um, just because it's a, you know, not not a team that <coughs> excuse me necessarily had super high um, expectations by any means this year, um, but just one that I wanted to note. Obviously, a lot of people hoping for Temple to get their things kind of figured out, become a reputable program again. We talked about that a little bit um, during our conference preview podcast. Um, Wagner takes down the Temple Owls at Temple's place. Um, really tough to see that. Um, for the Owls because their next four are against Nova on Friday. Then you got to host Vanderbilt. Then you got to host Rutgers. <laughs> and then you're going to St. John's. Well, in the Barclays Center, but you got to go play St. John's. Uh, so that's it's a tough outlook, um, you know, for the Owls. And then they've got a couple more Big Five games coming up in non-complay. You got to play Drexel. You got to play LaSalle. I know Drexel's not a traditional Big Five, but. Still another good Philly school. Um, and then they got to host BCU. Uh, they're going to Ole Miss. Um, so just a really tough outlook and not a great start to the season for the Owls. Um, obviously, I hope they get things, you know, I hope they're able, they're able to stay the ship there. Um, but, yeah, I definitely uh, definitely something worth noting there coming out of the American and, uh, and a tough tough night to start there for the, uh, for the Owls. Um, yeah, I think, like, terms of temple that i mean just listen up that non-conference it's like there is a there is an effort there to like uh, bring it back and i mean that is like got to be one of the more tougher schedules yeah i, I mean from the ones i've seen for sure in terms of like while they might not have to like play that many studs i mean like villanova comes to mind but you have to playing a team like night in and night out not having any like really low major um like bottom feeder of like the 351 division one teams like, this is the game that you're supposed to, like, okay, I guess we need an, a win or two before we hit conference play. And right. Wagner just comes in and just absolutely, like, handles you. Um, you know, and sending it to overtime and then taking advantage of those few minutes. I mean, good for the Seahawks. I mean, they got, right. they got a great logo, great colors. Like, some of the best out there. Yeah, and just um, send, the, send the Owls home. It's a, it's a tough scene for Temple, especially after it seems like they're trying to get their program back to where it used to be. Uh, under under Cheney and the boys. Yeah, way back when. Yeah, way back when. Early early thousands. <laughs> um, 
Next game I want to touch, uh, touch on. Um, haven't heard this team in a while. The Florida Gulf Coast Eagles. Yeah. Dunk City. Um, you know, they, they get out of Naples, or no, they get out of Fort Myers, out of Florida, and they're making a huge trip all the way across the country to Southern California. Um, you know, staying in a nice hotel, getting those boys some Pacific water. You know, you see a little uh, Atlantic from the Gulf. Get, get them a little shiver. Get them yeah. a little shiver. They're yeah. not used to that cold water down mm-hmm. there. Mm-mm. But apparently they're used to the court out there. I mean, <coughs> a close game, USC. Uh, probably just like, you know, didn't take that game seriously enough. And then halftime, it was too late. Florida Gulf Coast absolutely smokes them. Wins by 14 in the second half. Um, just like well-rounded um i mean usc hasn't been talked about a lot but um last few years they've always had like a very solid team and uh, or high seed last year uh two years two years together or four seed yeah and losing this game i mean how like well they didn't just i mean they got smoked yeah and like they got they got stetson versus florida state smoked yeah when we talk like (laughs) Like uh, about these like these bye games where like the the lower school like comes in and beats you, like the story is always about um, like the underdog, and then as it should be, like uh, all credit to the kids that you know make the trip, go into a tough environment that they're not used to at all, and like being a big team, like that should be the story, but like an underlying theme that I feel like never gets talked about is like how does like USC like move on like when you right. actually have to play tough teams it's like yes. we we couldn't handle florida gulf coast at home yeah when, so when, when teams like usc or like we were talking about like florida state losing to stetson at home as well last night by nine like when you've got teams like that that now have to go you know probably next week or the week after go play in some difficult you know high major uh non-conference tournament like what is your expectation level like and how do you bounce back after Man, we just got handled uh, by someone that metrics-wise uh, isn't as good as uh, isn't as good as us, and shouldn't have shouldn't have even really been in the conversation. So I think that's a you, know, you bring up a really really great point there. Yeah. Alrighty, my final one that I'd like to hit on um, and kind of to wrap up our our little you know night one preview recap kind of situation. Um, again, two great mid-major teams similar to the Belmont Ohio setup. The Buffalo Bulls and the Colgate Raiders. Absolutely. Again, two great sides that have consistently over the last five, ten years been consistent NCAA tournament teams, really great programs. Um, a couple upstate New York teams as well. Um, you know, love to see them uh, getting after it um, and just play a really tough, hard fought game. So. Um, Buffalo pulled away 88-87 in a very typical Colgate high-scoring manner. Um, but, yeah, just, just love to see, uh, again, two great reputable programs, um, you know, playing early on in the season. Uh, and I think this is one that, you know, coming down the stretch for Buffalo, you know, if you're looking at, um, you know, coming down to um, those early uh, – like like coming down to conference play and things like that. Um, if you get any of those those tiebreakers and things like that, looking at those that conference tournament seating, you know these are the games that can kind of help you with that. So, um, you know when when some of your opponents might be taking bye games, might be playing you know more difficult schedules. I'm not saying that this wasn't a difficult game, but again, um, you know for this to kind of help boost that overall record and getting a key win early, um, you know good for the Bulls and, and good on. Good on these two coaches for for scheduling this game on night one. I'd love to love to see that. I mean, there's just something about upstate New York <coughs> basketball. Um, right. I mean, you know, you got uh, two teams that um, all you're trying to do is like boost your schedule. Like you are trying to get like go into conference play like with very few losses. And then handle your conference if you're above them, make the tournament, make a run. When these two teams, you know, that are like on level like pages, that they're, you know, in the same way, like they're building their schedule and then they go to their respective conferences and then try to handle business, playing each other night one, um, 
You don't see that a lot. Uh, like, on the road, like a true road game is so good for the sport. I mean, we just talked about Belmont OU. Two reputable, reputable programs playing each other night one. And, like, I hope, like, this is a sign that it isn't, like, that could, like people look at this game and don't turn away from this. Right. Like, oh, like, uh, they lost night one. That's not yeah, good. Yeah, no, we don't want to put our program in that position kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, like, this should be, like, look at look at what can come out of this. You get right. good experience. Like, do they really want to just, like, play a bunch of cupcakes? No, like, they should, like, look to play these nice home and away series. And, um, obviously, it's too early to decide, like, is, like, Buffalo going to be, like, what they were in years past and, like, handle their conference and, you know, get a really high seed? Like, I don't know if that's what it's going to be. But um, this was awesome to see. I'm a huge fan of these two teams coming together. And, like, Belmont, OU, Colgate, Buffalo, um, Stetson, Florida Gulf Coast, like, these teams that were in marquee games on night one, like, that boosts, like, so much engagement. Right. Um the sport just as a whole. Yeah, the sport as a whole and as their schools and university. Like, Stetson being, you know, in Jacksonville, like, I, I bet very few schools, like, and very few people knew, like, anything about that school. Then you handle Florida State on night one. Yeah. Like, you got buzz. And now people might, like, want to check, like, oh, you remember that team that, like, beat Florida State, like, opening night? Like, what are they doing when it's, like, midseason in the Atlantic Sun? Right. So I'm looking forward to, like, trying to keep tabs on, like, these Colgates and these Buffaloes, these Belmonts, these OUs to see, like, is night one buzz, like, going to get you anywhere towards the end of the season? Yeah, totally agree. All right, so that kind of wraps up our night one preview. Again, nothing super notable, but always like to hit on a couple of those. Um, oh, wait, no, 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 you had one more, right, Graham? Did you? Sorry, I apologize. Yeah, Didn't mean um, to cut you off there. I don't know uh, if we have any um, long-time listeners. <laughs> but last year, as a, a, a fan of up north, when I go to the St. Thomas, Minnesota, yes. Tommy's. I was hoping you'd bring this one. Um, I didn't know if it was going to be this one or Arkansas peanut butter, given, a, yeah. given TCU or on. Um, St. Thomas was a very great Division three program for the past uh, five or seven, five, six years. And uh, they made the jump to Division one, which is very rare that you see three to one. Um, usually uh, it's a slow increase. You go to three, you're the three to two, you're there for a few years. And then if it works out, you go to one, it is a very long process. It's very rare that you see this jump. Um, and last year they had 12 guys on roster, one guy on scholarship. Um, haven't been able to find anything yet about like what their scholarship in- entails right now. Um, that was, it's going to be a few weeks before that you know, news becomes public, you know, when the writers can get into the gym and talk to coaches and administration. But St. Thomas goes to Creighton, makes the trip down to Omaha, and Omaha's, you know, Creighton's like, hey, you guys can come out, look at our gym. I mean, you're still like that small school. Right, yeah. And they're down five at half and do well. And yes. then the natural town of Creighton, I mean, this is a top ten program in the country right now. Um you know, coming in at AP poll at number nine in week one. Uh, obviously was able to pull away. They win 72-60. to 60. I mean, they just have too many um, dominant athletes. Right. Um, but it was so cool that, you know, at halftime I see that the Tommies are only down five. You know, hopefully they get a run for uh, that buy money. But yeah. no, totally Tommies agree. couldn't prevail, but showed some great upside for the rest of the year. Love it. Yeah, no, totally agree. I, I was hoping you'd bring that one up. Um, among others, a couple of the notables that I'm just looking at here on my screen mentioned Arkansas peanut butter, Arkansas pine bluff, um, TCU getting a, <laughs> as we saw some uh, some other writers out there in the college basketball world uh, mentioning TCU getting a quality quad four win over Arkansas pine bluff 73-72 <laughs> after being down 11 at halftime. Man Dixon got him right in the in the uh, locker room there at halftime. Um, Boston College played Cornell. Like how awesome is that? Come on. 79-77, Boston College pulls out the win. Little Chicago uh, was taken to overtime um, on a, a Leitner-esque buzzer beater. I'm sure you all saw that on Twitter. Um, but, yeah, so quite a few good ones out there. Um, those were just to mention a few. Saint, uh, yeah, like St. Louis played Murray State. Love that. Um, so, yeah, anywho, Memphis played Vanderbilt, you know, among others. But, yeah, a lot of good games last night. Um, anywho, so moving on. 
A um, couple other big headlines we wanted to hit on uh, here before we get to the Musketeer Minute to talk about Xavier's performance last night. Um, first thing we wanted to hit on was um, the Louisville uh, IARP ruling has, uh, come, has become official. Um, so the big thing um, that we've got to hit on is the official ruling, which um, officially was as a repeat offender um, for level one, for one level one violation and four level two violations, um, the men's basketball team uh, received two years probation, um, a reduction in the number of unofficial visits allowed, a two-week reduction in recruiting communication, and a $5,000 fine. Um, Patino, who's at Iona now, uh, Chris Mack, obviously former Xavier guy, both cleared of any wrongdoing. Um, former assistant Kenny Johnson, um, who's now under um, oh my goodness, Archie Miller at Rhode Island, um, and Jordan Fair, both charged with level one violations. Um, <coughs> which again, as my understanding is, well, essentially all that means is that Kenny Johnson can't be on the recruiting trail for like a month next year, which I mean, I don't even know if that's, you know, in the grand scheme of things, all that significant, obviously not significant even to Louisville. Um, and, uh, the, the big thing that the IRP came out of this and said was that they were intentional, uh, in making sure they weren't handing out penalties that would negatively affect current athletes. Um, which again, I think we're both for it. Like we're both, hey, that's awesome. You know, don't want to, don't want to hurt the current athletes. Whatever. Um, and I think the the other thing that you know David Benek, um, chief panel member of the IARP, said that really shocked a lot of us was uh, that their own brand. Speaking about Adidas, their own brand was their motivation. Um, that the institution had no knowledge that this was taking place. Um, is the direct quote from Benek. I just have a really hard time squaring that in my head that they really, truly think that, um, that Adidas' main goal was like, yep, hey, let's go get these players so we can grow our Adidas brand um, and not benefit our um, sponsor, you know, the, the institutions that we sponsor. Um, so, yeah, overall, um, kind of shocking. Uh, three schools left on the list for the IRP cases, um, Kansas, Arizona, and LSU are the last three. Um, obviously, you know, a couple of those close to us, myself being Kansas fan, we'll see what happens with that. Um, obviously, you got to be optimistic from the Kansas perspective since it is they're dealing with Adidas specifically. Um, and it seems to be that they're not really going after the school as much as they're going after the coaches specifically. Um, and again, we'll get to Bill Self on that, but Kansas did impose a self imposed four-game ban or four-game um, suspension of Bill Self um, and assistant coach Curtis Townsend. We'll get to that in a minute. But um, the big thing that I take away is that they're not looking to hurt the current players, which I think, again, both of us are happy to see that. We don't want to see the players, um, you know, have to take the repercussions. But at the same time, it's just really hard to square in my head how you're simply going to punish the coaches which in a lot of these situations, Kansas really being the only one that it's not, it doesn't really matter to the coaches. You know, like the coaches are in their own situations now, and it's not even affecting the program where it happened, which I think is really interesting. Um, and, and just the, I mean, the quote that just so boggles my mind is, oh, well, you know, they were doing it for their own brand. That's, I mean, that's just unbelievable to me. Um, the only other thing worth noting between difference between Kansas and Louisville um, Louisville was a, a a single level one violation. Um, Kansas, I think, has five level one violations. So we'll see. Again, I, I mean, cautiously optimistic after seeing you know what's come out here with Louisville. Um, obviously, the self-imposed uh, you know suspension. Hopefully, I think as you know, as a Kansas fan, you would think that would you know help a little bit. But again, you know, I I I have. Literally no idea where this could be going. Um, and, yeah, I think with that, I'll, I'll kind of turn it over to you, Graham. But any, any thoughts on the on the deal overall? Um, I think that I've loved in this process that they've 
really tried to not hinder the current athlete's situation. I think that um, the Patino stuff um, really negatively impacted um, Louisville the past few years. Um, There was a lot of dead air. There was uncertainty. Um, I mean, Louisville was losing players like left and right. And I think that I like the no postseason ban. I like like how there's like minor penalties for the school as a whole. Um, but it's just very confusing to me that like when it's so minuscule, that tells me that they didn't find much and they didn't right. think that there's much wrongdoing. At that point, like, why even do anything? Because um, I think that if you're going to punish someone and there's wrongdoing, like, the stuff that's going on behind these scenes is really negatively impacting athletes and the sport as a whole. Like, the behind the scenes of the recruiting world can get very messy. I mean, you hear the horror stories. You hear um, stuff that's going on at, like, LSU that uh, we're – I'm very um, hopeful that there's something that comes to Will Wade and that situation. Um, If it's going to be serious, it needs to, like, be something that hammers home to make sure that this doesn't happen again. Because I'm sure that there's a coach out there that, like, might be doing something, like, illegal, something very unethical. It's like, oh, $6,000? I mean, God. What's six thousand dollars to some of these guys? Like, let's just send another six grand to the kid we're trying to get. Um, I feel like there should be something more serious in monetary value, something that's affecting future players. Is like, they don't matter to your program right now. Like that's right. in the future. Um, so harder like recruiting punishment should definitely be a thing involved. Um, and if you can't find anything that, that is that serious. Then why even give them anything at all? I think that a lot of these small violations and small charges that they're giving to these coaches and these programs is more just so just saying like, hey, we got to do something, right? Like, couldn't find anything, but there's right. a lot of negative press. That's that's how I perceive the Louisville situation. Yeah, no, I agree. I think that's definitely a, a big part of it. Um, I think just moving forward, obviously the Will Wade stuff, and, and that's just a whole other situation. We could do another two-hour podcast diving into all that, and obviously we won't, but um, we'll see what comes from that. I think the big thing, at least for us personally, um, with the first two schools on that list being Kansas and Arizona, obviously Arizona having direct effect with Sean Miller, you know, obviously now Xavier's head coach. Um, they both have direct I don't know what the exact phrasing is, but they're both noted as having knowledge of what was going on as the head coaches. Um, like I think it's called like a direct coach notice. So again, um, those are a couple things that we do have to keep an eye on moving forward is just how they're going to handle those two situations specifically. Um, so yeah, again, we'll see what comes of this. Again, the IRP after the conclusion of the LSU case is shutting its doors. So I mean, who knows what the future of this holds. Obviously, NIL is completely changing the landscape. Um, so we'll see where the NCA goes and where the IRP goes um, with these future cases on the horizon. But overall, I just wanted to keep you up to date on that and what's going on down there at Louisville um, and what the kind of the standard that's being set for these, for these future cases that are still to come. Um, um, to add to yeah. the Kansas situation, in my opinion... Like, with the amount of violations, because Self is um, not just in trouble for, like, failure to report. Like, he he is on, like, getting charged with, could possibly um, come out of this with a charge of actually doing something as well. Right. And now, before the Louisville situation, I was like, what if he gets a year? Now, after Louisville, I'm like, eh, it might only be, like, a game, or right. he might get, like, a whatever a level two violation looks like. Yeah. Well, uh, and, and what I think is interesting, too, and, you know, I think if you're the IRP and you're going to suspend these coaches, like, let's suspend them for games that matter. You know what I'm saying? Like, let's not, okay, well, we'll we'll apply the suspension next season and then 
you know, you kind of like, oh, hey, university, you decide. You get to, you have yeah. to suspend it for two games. Your choice. It's like, also, well, yeah, of course they're going to do the first two games of the season when it's like a couple of cupcakes and it doesn't really matter. So I, I read something uh, on a Reddit post about the Louisville thing. It's like, if we could see, like, put, like, coaches getting suspended, honestly, it might be why they're waiting so long. Like, secretly. Like, maybe that's why the push is like, let's wait till conference comes out, conference play comes about, right. then we can get to suspension. Well, I agree, and part of that too is, I, at least from what I understand, is a lot of these won't affect this current season, um, which is also why I find it interesting that Kansas went ahead and self-imposed a suspension this season, mm-hmm. just because the season has already started, and so the push, punishments are getting pushed next year. I, I don't know how, again, all the fine lines and, and all that stuff, um, but yeah, anyways, continue, sorry. And, but from a Kansas perspective... When they were thinking of like a year could be involved, and it's like, well, what do you do? Like, do you fire him? Like, what do you like? What do you do at that point? Like, you don't fire yourself. No right? shit. I think like the four game suspension is them saying like, oh yeah, bad bad boy. Like you can't do this ever. <laughs> um, just so that um, if anything happens or anything doesn't happen, no suspensions. Like, yeah, we don't condone this. That way, when this is all over in a month or so, they can be like, yeah, self's our guy, and then forget about it. I think the totally four agree. games was just, like, a PR thing. To- no, totally. I think I think the university was at a point where they were like, I mean, we really can't not do anything, especially with now, they've seen now with two separate cases with Memphis and with Louisville, like, how the IARP is ruling. I, a, I don't honestly think they're that concerned about self getting suspended. Um but more importantly, I think they're like, all right, well, now that the general media and the general like press and even the general fan is starting to kind of get an understanding on what is going on behind the scenes here with these cases, um, I think I agree with you. I think from a PR perspective, it was like, all right, we kind of got to do something um, just to address this. But again, we'll... Excuse me. Again, we'll see, um, you know, what comes from that, so... Um. Yeah, and I, I can honestly see, like, this self thing, like, going down as, like, a higher up at Kansas, like, had him in his office and was like... Listen, man. Like, like hey, I'm in a tough spot. Like, <laughs> no, totally. Three, agree. four, five, how many games sound good to yeah, you? So. Yeah, what well, sounds good to you. Yeah. So, no, totally agree. All right, well, we'll wrap that. Um, we could, you know, go on and on about that all night. Um, but let's not. We get, don't have enough time for that. Let's keep... The listeners engaged. Let's talk briefly. We've got some new expansion talks, or excuse me, not expansion. We've got some new realignment talks. Um, Gonzaga has been rumored to be in talks with joining the Big 12 um, with Big 12 con- Commissioner Brett Yormack. Um, what are your thoughts preliminarily, Graham? Um, obviously, I think I think it's kind of understood from everybody that. Gonzaga, if they if they choose to move, will end up in one of three places: the Pac-12, the Big East, or now possibly the Big Twelve. What's kind of your preliminary thoughts? Um, do you think this is a smart move? You know, overall, like, what are your what's your general conception of uh, of the possibility of this move to the Big Twelve? I have been so against all this realignment stuff. And like, I mean, I think we both are from, like. The Big Ten getting USC and UCLA hurt the most out of everything so far because, I mean, I'm a Ohio State football fan. I love Big Ten. I love those cold mornings when you're tailgating and, like, the big bands and um, just, like, the energy that comes from Big Ten. Football is just it's, – I mean, it's a Midwest mindset that I just, like, love so much. Um, and I've just been so anti-realignment. But now I'm, like – starting to realize that I just have to, like, understand that it's here and it's not going anywhere. So at this point, I'm just like, all right, let, let's, like, shoot this cannon off. And, I, sure, Big Big 12 Gonzaga, do it. Like, that, Big 12, well, I don't know if, like, they've been, like, the best basketball conference. They've definitely been one of the most competitive. And if you want to throw Gonzaga in there, like, why not? Like, why not? At this point... I don't know how the other sports are going to work. Obviously, the most glaring one is football. It's going to be a little bit weird. Like, is Gonzaga, like, is their tennis, if they have a tennis team, I don't know. Like, are they going to travel to um, Waco, you know, play Baylor 
on like a weird Thursday afternoon in the fall. Right. Like who knows if that's gonna happen, but this point, why not? No, I agree. I, I think it's interesting because Gonzaga's kind of I don't want to say screwed themselves, but they put themselves in a spot where they're they're basically coming to all these conferences and saying, Hey, we're a package deal, you're not taking just our basketball program, like we want all of our sports to be competing in the same conference. And I just think that's so interesting because I think that's part of the reason why the Big East is very hesitant um, because, to be fair, the Big East is already kind of a small margins conference um, being so heavily basketball-focused that, yeah, like, the you know, no offense to the, you know, women's volleyball team at Seton Hall, but I don't necessarily think that their athletic department has or wants to fund them going to Gonzaga once a season, you know, like that's that's a tall ask. Mm-hmm. Um, so I agree. I find that really interesting, um, and I, I guess we'll see um, what comes of it. Again, this is all preliminary discussions. Um, I think, obviously, identity wise, I think basketball focused. I think if they fit best in the Big East, but again, travel is obviously a, a large concern with that. Um, and Big East commissioners come out and said that these talks won't even really be open um, until 2025 when the media deal is up with Fox. So, again, I think that's kind of a long time for Gonzaga to sit and wait. Um, I think they would would genuinely like to end up in the Big East. Um, but I don't know if, you know, with all the, uh, you know, w- with everything else moving so quickly, I don't think them waiting is, is really a, a high possibility. I almost wonder if their talks with the Big 12 is almost kind of like, Hey, Pac-12, like, get off your rear, figure it out, like, just let us join, forget the football issue, like, let's go. I'm wondering if that's them kind of trying to put pressure on the Pac-12 a little bit, just because, genuinely, I mean, if if Gonzaga goes to the Big 12, and, you know, there's been talks of, you know, with the two L.A. schools out of the Pac-12, there's been talks of... Um, the Arizona schools looking at moving to the Big 12, things like that. Like, if that happens, then the Pac-12 is in some serious trouble. Like, they are in some serious trouble of maybe not being able to continue and operate at a, you know, a high-level, Power 5-level conference. Um, so I do wonder if the, if the Gonzaga situation is them just kind of trying to, you know, push the Pac-12 a little bit and get them to push the envelope. We'll see. I mean, again, it's, it's all speculation at this point. Um ton of different possibilities um but yeah we'll kind of see um and, and then the other thing that i always you know i always harp on is hey like what <coughs> excuse me it, is there that much harm in staying because obviously gonzaga is a little bit different um than other schools that we've seen but we've seen a lot of schools that have you know moved to these bigger and better conferences things haven't gone well Mm-hmm. You know, like, I mean, you look at, like, I think I love using the Syracuse example. Like, leaving the Big East, go to the ACC, has proved over time now to be a really not great move. Right. Um, you know, namely, I mean, Missouri's another great one. Texas A&M's another great one. You know, basketball and football both. Those were reputable programs. Nebraska football, obviously, is kind of a glaring one. Like, those were reputable, top-tier, high-stakes programs for years and after they made that that certain move, that just was kind of the end of their relevancy, at least so far. So, again, I think it's interesting, you know, obviously there's only so much you can do with the WCC, but, you know, what's the problem necessarily, I guess, with operating at this level? Because we see it every year with the tournament, you know, and a lot of times, you know, Gonzaga or Houston or other schools like that, after cruising through conference play, you know, we'll, we'll get knocked in the mouth a little bit I guess to me, what's Gonzaga? I feel like has to in their athletics department kind of has to weigh. What's the difference between playing the WCC and operating as like a top five program in the country every year? Mm-hmm. To okay, maybe we go to the Big Twelve now we've got higher competition, but we're only ranked tenth, fifteenth, twentieth somewhere in there every season consistently. So I think that's kind of the big decision. Obviously, TV dollars drive a lot of that, um, but I definitely think it's something worth considering. And just the necessarily like the caliber of your program that you're going to be, you know, withholding. Um, I, I just think 
that there everything just has to do with money, and uh, I think you know, I mean, obviously yeah. college sports is supposed to be a nonprofit, but at the end of the day, I mean, you're just trying to run so much money um, for your school, and like, oh yeah, you haven't had the success that you had at your previous conference, but I'm sure Syracuse is loving the fact that their football program has grown, and that they're a ranked mm-hmm. team, yeah. and they're going to game day. They're getting these like great like main ESPN slots. Um, so sure, like Bayheim hasn't been what they used to be uh, when they were in the Big East. Sure, Missouri hasn't been able to do anything in the SEC. But I'm sure they're loving going down to Alabama once a year. Yeah, like they like these like low level schools that are in these like Power Five for football at least Power Five. Five football schools, power six basketball schools. They're at the bottom of their tables every year. Or standing, sorry. I'm in I'm in World Cup mode. I'm thinking <laughs> tables. Um, Twelve days. Yeah. Like these schools are struggling in football and don't have a lot going on basketball wise. I mean, they pretty much just buy games. Like they're you know, they're getting like the SEC money, they're getting like the Big Twelve money. And right. they're just like cruising along. I mean, these are glorified buy destroyed. games. Yeah, and yeah. I'm sure they love you know collecting that check, uh, uh, once twice a year. Yeah, no, totally agree. Couldn't agree more. All right, well, we'll wrap that on realignment talks. Obviously, there's a lot to go through there. Um, Graham, you're court side. I'll I'll let you take the lead on last night. Obviously, Xavier getting business taken care of. Ninety six seventy three over Morgan State, a much more dominant performance than we saw last week in the exhibition. Um, but yeah, I'll let you take it away. Go ahead. Um, <coughs> I think, you know, once Xavier Musketeers got out there in a packed gym, smelled the popcorn, there's a little bit of, like, that excitement. Um, a little bit of nerves, I think, for some of the guys. And, you know, Morgan State kind of was, like, neck and neck with us for the first um, couple I'd say, like, a little bit over half of the first half. You know, that's like, 10, 12 minutes. And then it just clicked. Um, I think, you know, you hit a big three. You get a good stop, and we just kept building on that momentum. Ended up going on a 25-4 to run to close the half. Love that. And then um, second half was just all us. I mean, towards the end, you know, Morgan State's guys, you know, they're playing for a little bit of pride. You know, we're kind of clearing the bench. And, you know, things got a little bit dicey. Ends up only being a 23-point lead. I think we were up at most 31 that game I think at least somewhere like that um but I think that there's just so many good things that came out of that game um first of all gotta talk about Sule Boom God, the guy was awesome yeah a UTEP guy for four years he's one of the most best players that UTEP's ever seen in their entire history um led Conference USA in scoring last year comes in just electric hitting tough shots um you know, dicing through defenses, getting those good dump-off passes in transition. Um, he was unbelievable. Zach and Jack, um, you know, Fremantle and Nunji. Played their role. They did such Absolutely a good job. executed. Yeah, last year, and I think um, Jack, um, in terms of last year, Zach being hurt this first few games, Jack being on his minute restriction coming back from his injury, I think that they never got that chance in the early preseason to kind of like mesh. And when it's two um, very dominant players that work best when they have the ball in their hands, they didn't really know how to work off each other. In midseason, it's really hard to get that cohesion. But now that they had an entire offseason to get together, um, work off of each other, I thought that they played so well um, together on both ends of the court. It was very great to see um, Kiki Tandy. Um, you know, he was a great um, piece his freshman year, sophomore year, saw a little bit less minutes, junior year, only a few games played before his injury, and just a rejuvenated um, player this year. Um, I, I cannot harp on it enough. Kiki was phenomenal last night. Yeah, and I'm not, like, after having a super questionable defensive game on Wednesday from the whole team mm. uh, in the exhibition game seeing a guy that was that was on the floor I, I three or four maybe even five times last night he was poking passes away him and Sule both 
great hands, great on-ball defense, and really good off-ball defense, too. Really just given a lot of effort. I absolutely loved it. Yeah. And when you can go player by player, I thought everyone showed um, some good amount of spurts. Um, and like talking about as a team, as a whole, uh, first 10 minutes, they had 10 turnovers. Looked incredibly sloppy. Yes. And then the final 30 minutes of the game, they only had 10. Now, sure, eight. you don't... Eight. Oh, yeah. Eight. Yeah, like, you don't really want that. Um, like, that's still a little bit of a high number. Trying to keep it under 15 a game, I think, is a good, a good um, margin that you'd like to see. Um, but I thought that everything just looked more cohesive. Everything seemed smooth, that we were, like... We weren't just, like trying to do this, trying to do that. It was just playing basketball. It was and I very think, intentional. Yeah. Um, and then I think when, you, when you're when you just trying to play your game and you have a great coach, you have a great um, support staff around that, and you have great talented players, like you're poised to do something great. And I, I'm very optimistic looking towards the rest of the season after seeing that. Yeah, totally agree. Um, another player that I'm shocked he didn't give his own, you know, minute was uh jerome hunter come on oh i mean literally couldn't have played his role to a better tee that is what i want to see from jerome hunter all season great on ball defense he had i think he had two blocks last night one he pinned on the glass which was sweet um and just really finding his shots on the opposite end wasn't forcing anything didn't take any ridiculous shots i loved seeing him play that role and just couldn't be happier for the guy him and kiki both they were my highlight players. Really glad to see Sule play well because he was a little shaky the first night. Obviously, got to get those nerves out of the way. Um, and that's not to overshadow, you know, of course, great performances from Colby, um, you know, Zach and Jack. I think Adam, you know, Conkle came in and had a good a good quality set of minutes. Um, but really, I mean, after looking at the depth chart, I can see this team going eight deep all year. Um, same starting five as last night bringing Dez off the bench for some quality, direct minutes. Um, obviously, Jerome, I think, is going to be our sixth man this year. And Kunkel coming off the bench, obviously, hot hand, really great shooter. Um, between those eight, I can see a really, really great rotation uh, out of this Musketeers offense and the defense. Definitely looked a little better last night. Hope that continues to improve for sure. Um, and as we know, I mean, you know, Miller's a winner. So I think he'll, uh, he'll do what it takes to get these boys uh, in shape and taken care of. Yeah, um, as I was going player by player, and I was like, oh, maybe I shouldn't. But, I mean, I have to, you know, harp on this, that that Colby um, is just such a great, well-rounded piece that it's going to be very fun to build around. I mean, nine assists. He was getting good quality looks at the basket, getting to the free throw line. um, He had 12 free throw attempts last night. and then active on both ends of the uh, glass, Jerome Hunter. You know, he, he heard the noise, I think. I mean, I think he was in a role last year that he wasn't really comfortable with, but now um, kind of being that bruiser, that, you know, like uh, like a Dennis Rodman-esque like, garbage man doing all the dirty work that no mm-hmm. one wants to do. It's great to see him out there. Um, of course, Kunkel, uh, limited minutes after um, his foot injury that sidelined him for a few weeks. Um you know, his few minutes were very quality. He's a very talented offensive player. Um, and then talk about the freshman. I mean, Desmond, you talked about, you know, gave us good 18 minutes. I thought he looked a little bit, like, um, a, little, a little shaky. But, like, what you saw, like, the moments of greatness um, that I think that even come conference time, I think he'll be ready. Um, he's just got he's just has to play. Um I mean, he's obviously talented enough that I think he's going to be fine. And then Cam. I mean, Cam has been, in terms of what the media has said about him, in terms of his recruiting profile, it's always been, you know, he's a shooter, he's a shooter, he's a shooter. And all three of his buckets were offensive rebound putbacks. Right. And I thought that he looked um, he looked ready. Um, it'll be interesting to see like when the season comes down, like who's going to get these minutes, because I think, um, you know, from like a coach's perspective, it's like, oh yeah, maybe one guy like doesn't play that well, and that makes things a little bit easier decision wise. But I thought like the nine guys that got the the chunk of the minutes all played very well. 
It's very exciting. Um, it's definitely a rejuvenated feeling um, coming towards Xavier this year. I'm hoping we can carry it on to Montana this Friday. Totally agree. And with that, we'll wrap it at that. Um, Montana coming up on Friday. Farley Dickinson next Tuesday, right? Fairfield. Fairfield Dickinson next no, Tuesday. Fairfield. Just Fairfield. Mm-hmm. Apologies. The Stags. Maybe. Let's check that. Why am I why am I all over the place with that? Fairfield University. Um, Jesuit Catholic Institution logo. There are the stags. Bang. Alright. Anyway, we'll wrap it at that. We got Fairfield Montana this Friday, Fairfield next Tuesday. We'll try and get a pot in there somewhere. Uh, my boy G's got laundry after the Fairfield game, uh, which is gonna be a very late night. Um, so we'll we'll have to find a time. Uh, to knock out the podcast. We'll do it somewhere in there. We'll get it up for you somewhere on Wednesday, Thursday before the IU game preview. Um, and then we'll have to meet remotely again. We'll have to go back to that non-Zoom pro junk um, before the uh, before the non-con tournaments there Thanksgiving week. Um, and then we'll be back in person again for a couple times before the winter break. So, again, couldn't be more excited to be back. Um so much fun last night, just seeing all the highlights, seeing Twitter, you know, getting warmed up again. Um, and I'm just glad to be back here, you know, blabbering way over our preset time limit that we thought we were going to stay under um, because we do this literally every single time. But just so good to be back. Um, Grandma, let you take us out. Yeah, I think that night one, while obviously it's not going to be the craziest, there's a lot of uh, good upside for the rest of the year in terms of you know, low major schools like doing well. Dominant performances by, you know, the teams that, you know, you set your calendar for. Um, and then obviously end it, as we talked about Xavier, that's a perfect game in my opinion. You know, we had adversity, we battled through, uh, plenty of players show their, you know, their strengths. And I think that there's a lot of positivity about this season. I'm very excited for the rest of it. And I look forward to talking to you guys next week. Cheers. Goodbye.